Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Delighted today to introduce really somebody who's now become an old friend I've known for several years, one of the sharpest guys I know uh, in the space, in the e-commerce space. Ben is Ben Leonard is from Ecom Brokers. He's built and sold a seven-figure e-commerce brand. And their brokerage really is based on two things that I think set them apart quite well. One is Ben's real-life lived experience of building and selling a, a business as well as the process of selling and how that felt. And also his partner, Alison Walker, who we've had on the show and is a fantastic lady. She's actually got two decades of mergers and acquisition experience. She's so modest, I didn't even know that. But that's obviously massive. And she's also, of course, a great expert in e-commerce accounting. So... Fantastic person to have on the show because it's such a hot topic and so important to get right. It's the opportunity of 2021 and beyond. So, Ben, you're a warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Michael. Really good to be on the show. Thanks for those, those kind words and that somewhat flattering introduction. I really appreciate that. Hey, look, you know, I know some pretty smart, as we do both some of the same eight-figure sellers, and they reach out to you for various things, not just you know, one or two, and, you know, get great results. You clearly know your stuff. And uh, that's a great start. It's, it's actually, again, lived experience. I have a lived experience of your expertise, which is always great. Reassuring in, in a world of people shouting loudly and claiming expertise based on five minutes experience. So let's dig into experience as a brand builder and brand seller in this episode, Ben. Just walk us through it. So I guess we better start off with the, uh, the inevitable question of why you started your business. But what interests me, actually, I think, is how you scaled it and why you told, chose to sell it and those sorts of questions. So as they said in the sound of music let's start at the very beginning it's a very good place to start apparently sure uh, it's a cracking musical as well yeah i'll talk a little bit about how i started and and i'll get into the scaling because i think that's the more exciting bit i started in a, in a in an interesting way i think because a lot of people come into e-commerce thinking i want to get into e-commerce i want to sell stuff online i didn't prior to getting into e-commerce back in 2016 i had no business experience nor was i even aware that I might have had an entrepreneurial spark somewhere in, in the back of my brain. I actually, by qualification, I'm a whale and dolphin nerd. I was uh, working as an ecologist and I got very ill for the third time with a heart problem, which is absolutely fine now. But for a period of six or nine months, I had to take a cocktail of all of the drugs. And I was told by the doctors, you can't do anything in terms of sport. And I was very sporty. I was doing CrossFit, boxing, running, lifting weights, chucking kettlebells around. I couldn't do any of that. And I needed something to keep me in touch with those hobbies, keep me occupied and motivated whilst I was recovering. Just so happened that my then girlfriend, now wife, was studying. So she was very busy uh, in the university library all the time. And, uh, and I'd had this idea several years previous of, uh, of a fitness brand and uh, calling it Beast Gear. At that time, I had no idea really about e-commerce and especially not Amazon. In fact, I might have been one of those annoying people who back in the day thought that when you bought something on, on Amazon, you were actually buying it from Amazon. And so I started this brand of fitness equipment and very quickly uh, realized I was actually pretty good at it and that it, it was going somewhere. 
And three and a half years later, I sold it, having having you know gone full time and quit my job and, and gone all in, as it were. So I've got a couple of instant questions. I mean, first of all, uh, that reminds me of a couple of people that I've spoken to in, in this game, not kind of gurus out on the podcast, but that the privately it was at Healthscare was actually behind them getting passionate about a particular product area. It's interesting. I guess any kind of wake up call is something that forces you to make profound decisions, right? And there's, there's quite a lot in history of, of various people who've become later famous. I think even some of the, like someone like Ben Franklin was on an iron lung Mm. for a while what have you interesting now the other thing that interests me is tell me about this relationship between on the one hand you say you had no business experience and you didn't really kind of know what amazon was or how it worked like everyone else and on the other hand though you did so casually say well i don't i've been thinking for ages about starting a business with the name beast gear so you actually had a very specific name so yeah that had been sort of percolating for some time i imagine what what was that about yeah you're right it had been somewhere in the in in my subconscious i remember a couple of years previous to this health incident, I'd been at, at CrossFit, which for people who don't know is like, imagine the worst ever gym class school and times it by 10. It's like circuit training on steroids. And at the end of the session, absolutely shattered. Uh, one of the guys at training said, oh, we absolutely beasted it today. I just kind of thought beasted it, beast, beast, beast gear. That would be a cool name for a brand of equipment for me to train with. And then I, I kind of forgot all about it. And then when I was ill, I was sort of sadly tidying up my gym kit you know all this gym kit that i couldn't use and looking at some of it and thinking well i could probably do a better job of that actually and then i thought oh yeah beast gear that was the idea i had why don't i look into that and uh, and so i did and you know i i did the sort of classic thing that, that i think you should do really when you're you're an entrepreneur which is scratch your own itch i wanted better quality fitness equipment and i believed i could make better quality fitness equipment for better value so that was the problem. And then I solved it and I created a, a brand around that problem and a, a suite of products to solve problems for, you know, the target user of, the, of that brand. Yeah, and there's a textbook example. And the thing is, it's such an annoying thing for anyone who's who's in the early stages. And this podcast is not geared to that, but they will be listening probably because get in touch occasionally and say so. But it's such an annoying answer because actually like people come to me and I, I'm really trying not to work with those guys anymore because it's so hard to, to help somebody who like me to be fair and I'm more that way and, and it's not such an easy path. Okay, here's Amazon, here's a business model, which means you, you know how to sell on Amazon. But if you don't know who you're serving and don't have a really strong reason to do it, particularly in private labeling, it just generally falls on its face. I mean, it does, doesn't go anywhere. It's a damp square, but it's not so much a drama. It's just like this kind of never normally starts. And I would say... Honestly, scratch your own itch. Is, it's really annoying because if you don't have an itch, how are you going to create an Amazon business? And I would just simply say, and I'd be interested in your take on this, but we don't spend too long on the, the sort of startup side. But I would say don't start a private label business then. Resell something else. Like resell, if Beast Gear is willing to sell stuff to you on a wholesale basis, then buy their stuff because they've already done that. They've already built a brand. They've already got, got passionate about something. What's your thinking about that while we're on it? I think so. I think you need to be able to get out of bed in the morning, excited to work on your business, not just because you're excited about how much money you might make, but because you're excited to help people and solve problems. You're excited to use your own products in whatever it is you're doing, whether you want to sell knitting products because you love knitting or whether you want to sell motorcycle components because you love tinkering with motorbikes in the garage. Whatever it is, you need to be excited about it. So if you're just, if you've just heard about this e-commerce opportunity and you want to cash in, that's fine. But the where you cash in may not be building a brand. It may, you know, a lot of money was made selling shovels during the gold rush. You don't necessarily know, need to be the one that's digging for gold. So there, may, there are other ways that you can get involved in, in this sphere, in this industry, 
in ways that excite you and make you want, if you love coding, well, maybe you could code and do something with your coding skills for this industry rather than, you know, selling knitting needles. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I would say that, that sort of two ends of the spectrum, I'm really, two things that strike me. One is the wholesale model, which I haven't personally really done. It's an itch I want to personally scratch just to try the business model out because I think a lot of it comes down to business to business sales and I'm very comfortable with having Zoom conversations like we're having now. And the other thing is I'm I'm very excited in a way that I never was about building my own brand. I was never excited about the products that I built. And and frankly, you know, I wasn't the best person to be picking products or trying to develop them because I wasn't passionate. But I love great businesses and I love small business in not in small as in weak, but small and growing mightily. That's a very exciting investment opportunity. So I'm I'm gearing up to invest in a couple of brands that I work with uh, that are my clients. I'm really excited about that. And I think what you've put your finger on it, it's got to be something that excites you as a process. Because if, it, if it's just money driving you, the money don't show up for ages. It's not going to get you out of bed. Yeah. And also, it's just not that exciting. Money is exciting when you buy something. You get a sugar rush from new physical things you can buy. And then it's back to the same old, same old, right? That's what strikes me. Yep. You touch on an important point. The money doesn't show up for ages. I, I didn't draw any money down from my business until after I quit my day job. And even then, uh, didn't draw down a particularly large amount. It was just you know enough to, to pay the bills. And the money comes when, in in most cases, when you sell the business. Yeah, that's a really important reality check. That I think that this is something that that people, and again, look, we this is just this part of the conversation. I'm trying to kind of skip over the startup idea, but I think that goes together with some people that that you and I probably both know, and then people that I work with in a mastermind, the other people that I know personally. They're running an Amazon business, but they don't even quite know why. And I'm talking people who are three, four years in. They're doing maybe a million dollars in revenue. Maybe they got decent revenue. Maybe they got decent profits. Maybe they got rubbish profits in that various. But that shows up for me in a couple of ways that I've come across people who are number one bored of the business. They're making great money, but they're bored. That sounds like a quality problem, but I would say that's possibly a reason to sell a brand. One of the clients I've got is indeed working through that process now, and you know probably should put in touch with you guys as well. But that's one way it shows up. The other one is it shows that you're working your ass off and then you're getting very little personal income. For example, one person I know is doing about a million dollars a year run rate. I mean, probably last 12 months trailing now. Pretty bad, you know, whatever. It's like five, you know, a handful of percent profit. And then they've got two business partners. And so if you want to keep some profit in the business and take a drawing from it, if you've got two parts, say you're doing 10% on a million, sounds great, but that's $100,000 divided by two. That's the, the amount you can probably take out without killing the business. Divide that by two business partners is $25,000 each for running a really complicated high risk business, right? It's pretty yeah. tragic. And I, I just see that a lot. And I think the reason is because they're not clear why they're doing it. Are you running this for cash flow? In which case, bloody look at your profit margin. Excuse my French. Um, it's on my own podcast. Or you are running, you're creating it to sell it, in which case, you know, build it to sell. Yeah, yeah, you, you're right. And you touched on something there, it's boredom. If if you're bored of your business, that's a red flag that it's going to start going either, you know, either plateauing or going downhill. So the time to get out is is now or very soon, because, you know, that takes us, I guess, to the, to the topic of scaling. The best way to scale your business or the best the best fuel for the engine that's going to drive the scaling is your excitement, right? If, if you're not into it, you're not going to continue to solve problems for this group of people that your brand exists to solve problems for. You're not therefore going to be able to expand your product range, expand your market range. And those are the, the two big drivers of, of scaling your business, right? Adding more products to, to sell more products to your existing customers and your potential customers to solve more problems for them. And add more markets, move into countries in order to you know find more of those people across the globe. That's how you will scale, and that's how I scaled. 
brilliant advice. So let's come back to you, uh, as you you know implied. We ought to revisit your personal story. So obviously your your take on scaling is quite clear. But I think that personal excitement, I don't want to skip over that because even if you've been in business for a few years, I just think people can skip that. And the people I know who've absolutely killed it in the last three years are very excited about the game. And I can't emphasize enough. They love the money. And like literally one guy I know literally bought a Ferrari recently, or maybe it's a Maserati or, or McLaren or something, high-end car anyway. And literally that the kind of textbook, what's his name, Ty Lopez kind of dreadful kind of stuff. But he actually really, really <laughs> loves cars, but he loves the game as well and that's the bit that people miss i think so tell me how that that scaling looked for you fueled by obviously you had a genuine passion for the the industry you thought you could do better you were scratching your own itch it's textbook stuff so you scale by adding products so so what was the sort of what would you say was the year when you felt you'd had it established and when you scaled where, where would you differentiate between the sort of startup and scaling phase if that's even a thing in your mind yeah so i i'd added products i started the first I had the idea in early 2016. So it was like February, 2016. I made my, I, I sold my first product to a stranger on the internet, a bit dodgy in June, 2016. Right. But it was the first sale that wasn't, you know, a friend or a member of my family helping me out. And I'd added products two and three in 2016. And things really started to take off in the following year, by which point the brand was generating interest. And, and sort of, I, I would call it sort of that, type of interest that where you can say you're a legitimate brand. It was people searching for the brand, the brand being spotted in gyms and appearing on social media naturally, organically, and people thinking it was cool and I wanted that, or I've got product A and now I'd like to have products B and C, please. That's when it really turned a corner. And that's when I think everyone's brand can turn a corner is when you're offering more than just a product that someone's searching for on Amazon. It's when you're offering that sort of uh, suite of products to solve a range of problems for for your customers. That's when you really put your foot down on the throttle, right? Is when you, you hit that you hit a almost like a turning point where you 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 move on from just a, something on a list on Amazon to something that people are legitimately fans of. Okay, that's really interesting. So you're you got a very specific take on it then, and that's very very interesting. So really quite rapidly then you went and this is obviously a how you did this question in here because a lot of people are looking at this or listening to this going wow that's amazing so from starting in mid 2016 by 2017 people are searching for your brand by brand name which as you say is, is a very simple but robust kind of keyword driven metric to oh, have you got a brand or are you just selling based mm. on a generic keyword the classic amazon play and then it was appearing social media organically which is another interesting word i other people i guess word of mouth another way of putting it and appearing in gyms so how on earth did you engineer that in a year because that sounds pretty unusual so when you look back at something in hindsight it, it can sound as if you did it all on purpose and i did it on purpose but not in the way that like i didn't have some guidebook or uh, like a step-by-step a, a -step process of this is this is how I'm going to do it or this is how I should do it. It just sort of made sense. After I'd launched the first product, the first product was a speed skipping room. Then it made sense to sell other products that the same person would want to use. And at the same time, I knew right from the very start before I'd even begun that I needed to have a cool brand name, a cool logo. The products needed to be high quality if I was going to stand behind them as the face of the brand and I was the face of the brand. And when you put all those three things to get several things together, you know, cool brand name, cool logo, high quality products that serve a, a group of people who want to, to buy all of those products, you know, together, they complement each other. 
And then you add phenomenal service, not just generic, you know, messages that somebody receives on Amazon, but phenomenal service through your social media channels, on your own website, on your email list, in your chatbot, etc. You you almost can't fail, you know. I love um, it. That sounds like you should be creating a course to tell people how to b- build a business to scale. I mean, they because I, I love that confidence. But tell me more about why you can't fail then, because that's a heck of a statement. <laughs> if you are, if you, if you understand your customer enough you understand their pain point and their challenges and you also understand their values and what they want to need then you can build that i guess you would call that your customer you would call that your customer avatar you can build a brand avatar which reflects that and people no matter how modest or good of a person anyone is deep down inside of maybe it's our reptilian brain i'm not sure deep down inside of our brains we are self-interested and we're looking to survive and thrive and, and get ahead in the world. And so when we see a brand that, that A, reflects us and we can see ourselves in, or not even ourselves, but the aspiration of ourselves, who we want to be, right? You know, right now I might be this relatively unfit person and I can see in a relatively more fit person, Right using cool equipment. I want to be cool. I want to be seen as cool. I want people in the gym to see me as cool. I want to post on Instagram and everyone to think I'm cool, right? And at the same time, they're solving my problem or my pain point, which is I don't feel like I am these things at the moment. Then that speaks very, very well to our, to our, to our brains, right? We want to get ahead and survive and thrive. And therefore, we're much more likely to, to buy from a brand that speaks to us in that way. Amazing. And I'm not talking about some sort of shady, almost like, you know, NLP, dodgy stuff, trying to hypnotize people into buying your stuff. I'm just talking about understanding your customer and talking to them in in their language, right? If you're selling knitting products, it's about understanding what knitters want. Yeah. Funnily enough, I mean, my, my business partner, Jason, who I know you've uh, listened to the podcast, you've been kind enough to get in touch. Jason Miles, now his wife, is not in the knitting, but it's a sewing industry very closely related. I'm sure if you're a knitter rather than sewer, it's a big, big deal difference. But yeah, and, and she's mm. just incredibly passionate about it. I mean, she was pursuing things in a way that was burning her out by physically making the stuff. But yeah, again, that, that deep level of passion, we keep coming back to that. But I love all of this stuff. I mean, what is amazing to me is that I, I went on a lot of marketing training in sort of 2007, 8, 9, around sort of business coaching, which has proven very useful for amazing FBA, even though at the time I thought, well, I didn't really do much with it and it didn't prove useful. But what's, what's striking me more and more is that things are coming full circle in my life that I'm going through some training to reposition, you know, what I'm doing with the service side of things. But the e-commerce side, it's the same thing. I think people just sometimes put silos up between, this is a different point, but they put silos up between different related industries and say, oh, I'm going to do this because everyone else in e-commerce is doing this. And we don't look just, just around the corner well, we're, we're customers, pretty much everyone who's sold on Amazon has been a customer of some kind of uh, coaching or a course at some point. We don't look at what those guys are doing. And they're doing exactly this deep dive work because that's kind of a normal for that industry. But it's not seen as, quotes, normal for Amazon. And and we obsess over the, mm. the very, really thin keyword data we get from Amazon, right? I mean, how, how does the keyword research, we, we seem to be going into the startup phase more than I was expecting, but let's dig into it. The keyword side, how does that tie in for you? Was it really ever a relevant thing to, to really worry about or was it sort of an afterthought? How does that work? Some, if any of the, the so-called gurus are listening, then I'm sorry, not sorry. But when I first started, I drank, I drank the Kool-Aid, right? I thought that all this stuff mattered a lot more than it really does. 
Now, of course, keywords matter in the sense that if you're selling a dog collar, somebody searching for a calculator, hopefully, isn't going to stumble across your dog collar and vice versa. When I started, I got far, far too interested in, in, in getting obsessed about indexing and backend keywords and all this stuff. Now, my strategy is simply write a listing that makes sense to my target customer, have a list of keywords which I know to be relevant using both my knowledge of the niche and also some of the main keyword tools, but don't spend weeks and months obsessing over keywords. And if they're not included, fit them in either in the back end or fit them into your listing in a way that makes sense so that it's readable. And then don't worry about it. And the people who are interested in your brand will find it. I think this is one of the problems is people become obsessed with selling on Amazon. Nobody has an Amazon business. People have a business and Amazon is a sales channel. It could be that Amazon is your only sales channel. That, that's fine. It'd be better if you had more sales channels, but, it, but that's okay. But when you get so obsessed about selling on Amazon rather than having a business that sells on Amazon, then you get far too obsessed with all these nitty gritty, what you think are going to be the magic bullets. Oh, I just need to squeeze in these keywords here or do this. And suddenly my product is going to show up way more and everyone's going to buy it. When you concentrate on building a quality brand, over time, that will work. And people need to start playing the long yeah, game. I love this, man. This is music to my ears. I'm so like, I'm so totally bored intellectually with the whole hacking thing. I, I can't begin to tell you. So many people have so many keyword research tools and I give them such a hard time now before they come on the podcast, not to be an ass, but just to say, you know what, if your tool isn't really different to what's out there, there's just not much more I can actually talk about with you that we haven't already said. Yep like 50 times on my own podcast. I've got five, 600 episodes out there now with my name attached, many of which deal with keyword research, unsurprisingly. But like in the end, there's only so much you can say about what is a fairly narrow data set. And, and before everyone gets upset about it as well, like let's, let's be clear, data is a wonderful thing, but we get bugger all data from Amazon. We get the BSR, which is extrapolated upon to the nth degree by Clever, but data scientists are the only humans at Helium 10 or Jungle Scout, whatever. And then we build castles in the air on it, right? And I just think this is so healthy. And I love that statement. Like, it's almost like you're saying, if you build it, they will come. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> so no. <laughs> tell me about so, it's a great film, by the way. Field of <laughs> I, well, I mean, a lot of people think it's right. I like it. If you build it, they will not come unless you educate people to know, like, and trust you. And this comes back to what I'm saying about concentrating on building your brand overall, rather than talking about getting too swept up in, in obsessing over little tricks to, to rank for different keywords on Amazon, right? When you teach people to know, like, and trust you as, as, as perhaps the face of your brand or more, more generally your brand, then they will buy from you, right? Nobody's going to, you know, it's the classic. Nobody's going to marry you on the first date. Similarly, people might not buy from you the first time they hear from you. But as they get to know, like, and trust you and understand that you are an authority on that topic and therefore your products are likely to be high quality, then they will buy from you. So you have to build it and then educate. If you just build it, some people will come, but probably not that many. So two, two things that come off the back of that is, I mean, how do you educate people and create yourself some authority because obviously for those of us who, who primarily sell via amazon even though absolutely point taken there's no such thing as an amazon business it's either amazon's or it's yours and there's why is that tension that's another topic but 
let's say, okay, you're real. You've got a business, you're building a brand, but you're primarily selling on Amazon, as, as I believe you did, if yep. we need to talk about that. But how yeah, did, did you yeah. then create that connection to what is very much and ever increasingly Amazon's customers, not our customers? Yeah. So you do do a couple of things. You you have to have, as well as just being on Amazon, you need to have off Amazon presence. So you've got to have your own website anyway, I believe, to get brand registered. Certainly you used to. I mean, obviously you need your trademarks with brand registry 2.0, but certainly having your own website as an authority of you know your brand will, will certainly help with that. So you've got to have your own website. From there, you need to have associated social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, maybe Twitter, although it's kind of dying from a brand point of view, YouTube, TikTok now, Pinterest, if you're that type of brand, if you're an arts and crafts brand, for instance, Pinterest is a great place to be. And on those places, you will position yourself as an authority, um, an authority on your topic. And from those places, you will speak to your customer or potential customer who is who is the hero, right, in this whole story, right? Uh, and you will speak to them with, with you know, I, I understand the problems that you have and with authority. And I know about this topic and here is the medicine for your pain. And that medicine is your products. Some people will be listening to this saying, yeah, but uh, how do I get people to go to my Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, accounts where they don't know I exist? A, a fair proportion of your customers will just come from organically searching you on Amazon, right? They haven't heard of your brand yet. And, and now we're going to, we're using Amazon essentially to acquire customers or acquire these people, these hopefully evangelical followers of your brand and using perhaps our product inserts or even just the fact that our, our product is, is so eye-catching, such a, an excellent high quality product, which I hope you're producing that people will naturally say, well, I'm going to go and Google them and then they'll arrive on your assets, right? But you know, you're probably, you've probably got some material included with your product. Maybe it's an insert, a leaflet it's on your packaging, and they will arrive at these off Amazon assets that you have. And you can use those to drive people to your own website to get sales off of Amazon. That's fine. And, or if you wish, you can drive them back to Amazon or drive you know, a mixture. You can mix it up. Personally, I tend to try to drive everyone to my own websites, knowing fine well that a proportion, perhaps a significant proportion, will always just say, well, I, you know, I love the content on their Instagram. I love the, the articles on their website. I love the, the videos on their YouTube, but I'm just going to buy from Amazon because I know Amazon. I've got my account. I've got Prime. It's fine. That's absolutely fine. Okay. That's, that's, there's no reason not to do both. So uh, I guess that what you're differentiating very starkly between, and this is so interesting because I'm seeing this, this with the smartest people in the masterminds that I run as well, is between having your own assets as authority building and getting the no like trust, the Dan Kennedy absolute classic again, like in the information marketing industry, this has been around in the open for forever yeah. and obsessed about for three decades, it's pre-internet, but people don't do it in Amazon circles, which worries me. And I'm so glad to hear you say that, but there's that. And then the sales channel, which may or may not, probably mostly not be your own website, right? And the point is not off Amazon selling versus on Amazon selling or Shopify versus Amazon or the artificial dichotomy. It's like, you do everything you can to be the authority. And I love that empathy and authority. What a beautiful couple of words. That, those, that's, that's absolutely one to take home. And then you let them buy where they want to buy, but you're all over Amazon. You've done your keyword research, but it's not your obsession. I love that. It's just absolutely brilliant because it mirrors what I see the really successful people doing. And weirdly enough as well, the people who've done really, really well on Amazon are the best place to do this kind of stuff when they run their own Facebook group, for example, which is a powerful strategy people don't yeah. tend to do. 
it works really well because they've already got that momentum and social proof and they've seen the product a lot on Amazon. That's kind of the Google for products. But then there's Google for yep. Google, right? <laughs> Which you're mentioning. It's not rocket science. If you get a brand name that's any good or that they're interested in, they're going to stick it in Google because what else do you do in, in the 2021? Of course. Love it. Exactly. Love it. Hi there, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. So this is halfway through the interview with Ben, where we're going to focus on, in fact, we've got three episodes with Ben. This is halfway through our focus on brand building as opposed to selling, which obviously Ben has done. He sold his business. We will be talking about that in a couple of episodes time. Now, it was kind of a surprise to me how much we ended up dwelling on a lot of stuff that could be said to apply to anyone who's at any stage of their brand building journey with e-commerce brand or indeed any brand. But I think it's a great wake up call if you are actually doing seven or even eight figures potentially and you are uh, very focused on operations and financial operations are very, very important that is too. But your branding and the passion that you have in your customer's passion for your products, if that needs revising, I think Ben's a, a great starting point. I really love the passion, the connection to the brand and the sort of connection that he clearly feels and wanted to also consciously create with his ideal audience. So a few things, the fact that he'd been, you know, was was scratching his own itch. That's always wise. If you've got an established brand, you either are or you're not. But I mean, it's worth if you've got two or three brands. I know quite a lot of people have got that going. It's worth considering which one you actually really care about. Sometimes it's worth selling one off. I know a couple of my clients are considering that this year in 2021. And I think we'll probably go ahead with it because having too many things, some of which you care more about than others, or if you're starting from scratch, either way, scratching your own itch, great advice. Boredom is a red flag that's going to plateau. Really important. If you're considering selling, the time to do it is before you start getting really bored. The whole kind of brand development being organic. What else did I get from today? Yeah, the whole thing really of building a brand by educating people and developing authority and what is it that Ben said? Empathy and authority. One of wonderful strong couple of words they are as a person to be empathetic and authoritative right so, and i think that's a wonderful aspiration and indeed driving force that you can anyone can do i mean if it, content marketing is somehow not something that e-commerce operators often seem to get around to especially if they're on amazon and i really think that's a mistake i, I think that ben has shown the way and this is by the way proven this is a guy who went from having no brand to selling it for seven figures in two straight years i mean two and a half maybe by the time all was done so this isn't just some theory uh, i love this stuff i think if you are like me already a fan of ben you should go and check out his stuff very bright guy i've had hours of private conversations with him and a very very insightful man indeed and he's walked the talk most importantly so hope you've enjoyed today um, don't forget to listen to the second half of this interview where we're still talking about sort of scaling building a brand and we're going to talk about the keywords and how do they fit in but where they belong as well and then the real critical importance of defensive intellectual property strategy which is not often talked about very important stuff so if you're serious about brand building do check that out. As ever, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to give us a quick review of like an Amazon rating these days. You can just click and give us whatever stars you think we deserve on Apple Podcasts without even having to write a review. So it could take you 10 seconds. If you could take those 10 seconds, I'd be enormously grateful. We spend a lot of time, energy and money putting these podcasts out there for you for free and they're always going to be free. So that's all I would ask in return. And don't forget, of course, if you're enjoying this stuff to subscribe to the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. 
Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.